Hey there, language lovers. You're listening to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Shannon Kennedy, your co-host, along with Benny Lewis. And in this episode, we are chatting with Halima Salem, creator of Blackboard English and the Fearless English Podcast, English language tools created to empower women. In our interview with Halima, we cover becoming a fearless language learner, shutting down negative self-talk, creating opportunities for women through English, changing ideologies in the ESL community, and supporting your children learning another language. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always love hearing from you. You can leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links and resources mentioned in this episode will be available to you as a part of the show notes. Now, on to our interview with Halima. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 63. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. This is your host, Benny Lewis, and I'm joined, as always, by Shannon. And uh, today we are interviewing Halima Salem, who is the face behind Blackboard English. She also runs her own podcast, the Fearless English Podcast. And she's a very, very interesting story because uh, she helps and inspires other people to learn English. But she got into English later in life herself. So we want to hear all about that, all about her story and how you can get some inspiration yourself, especially if you happen to be an English learner, but also for any language, I think you'll find this interesting. So thank you so much for joining us today, Halima. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited uh, to start this conversation. Absolutely. So like your your story is just absolutely fascinating how uh, you had like uh, the kind of immigration experience and you, you had these struggles and you began your English learning at nine years old. So I'd love to hear from your own uh, perspective, like wh- how did this all go? How did your English learning experience begin? Yeah, so um, I come from Somalia. Um, So I left Somalia at the age of two because of um, civil war at the time. um, And we wanted something better. So, I mean, I didn't, obviously, but my parents wanted to have better opportunities. So they went to Saudi Arabia um, looking for a better life, uh, work and education. Um, But we went there as um, just like as a... I guess we didn't go there with papers, so we didn't have any type of documentation. So at some point we were there as um, illegal like immigrants and um, we kind of just stayed at home. There was like, we didn't have access to school or um, so everybody just stayed at home. My dad would go to work and it was like every day was like scary because anybody who would knock on the door, we would always think like it was someone to to take us. So our biggest fear was always when will they come and like find out that we're here um, like illegally. So like because because I, I, I was there like older than all my siblings, I, I remember all the details of you know, moving from house to house. Um, I mean, flat to flat, obviously, because we couldn't afford the next month. So we would have one month stay there. And then by the end of the month, we would move to a different place because we didn't have enough money. So we'd always go back to my um, grandparents' house 
and all of us would stay in one room. And then when that was like not comfortable enough, they would have another month and then we would go back and rent another place. Um, so it was like that, like continuous change and from place to place to place. Um, and then at one point my mom was like, I really want my daughters at the time. Um, and my brother was very young at the time. And she said, I want them to be able to go to school. So she looked for schools and she, because she was an illegal immigrant there, she was, well, she wasn't allowed to go to any public schools. Um, and so she looked everywhere until she found a school that would accept people that didn't have paperwork. Um, and that school was like for orphans and people that couldn't afford it. And so she was extremely, um, excited to go to that school and so she could take us to school and then she dressed uh, my sister and I um, up and then we went into the cab and on the way she realized that she wouldn't be able to afford the cab rides to school every day although she had been accepted to the school she told the driver to you know turn back and go back home. So we went back home. We were super confused. I remember, but, but I remember my, my grandma saying, Oh, come and like, let's chill together. My mom just went into the next room and just started crying her eyes out. And I just didn't understand at the time, but as an adult, she was like, well, it's so frustrating to be able to be in that position where you can't provide an education for your children, especially if, cause my mom is she never received, um, an education. She, they took her out of like school when she was very, very young. Like I think age four or something, because they said a girl doesn't need school. Eventually you're going to get married and you're, it's just a waste of time to put you in school and waste money. So she didn't have an education and she had, com she's completely like, doesn't have any sort of education. So, but to her, it was like, that is the most important thing. So that's kind of the reason why we looked for other opportunities and we went back to Somalia, tried to, cause she was like, I'm not staying here if I can't educate my children. So then that's when we had the opportunity to go to England. Um, and then that's where <laughs> the English learning journey starts, starts. So long story short. And, and, uh, so just continue your story from there. Like what, what happened as you arrived in England? Yeah. So like, oh, you can imagine, like I had no idea there was this world of like different things. Um, so we would, when we found out we were going to London, um, we, my sisters and I, we would talk about what it would be like. So we would make up like certain things like, oh, like it, like, if you put the clothes in the, like this machine, it wash, not only does it wash it, it also folds it and like comes out like on the other end, like amazingly, like, <laughs> so we, we had no idea where we were going. So we would make up like stories about what it would be like. And when we went to the UK, to, to the UK for the very first time, we were given a house and we went to school straight away. There was like in a matter of like days, you know, we had our own place. We had a place where we, the entire house was ours. We were not sharing with other people just to be able to afford the rent. Um, and then we went to school and that was just completely like mind blowing to me that there was a place where they teach you stuff. So like, I, I didn't even 
like I, I, I had never been taught before that even how to hold a pen and be able to actually write in any other language. So like when I say I didn't know English, I didn't know anything else, like, because I had no prior education um, at that point. So like then we had like moved into our new home, we started school. And so that's when I started being introduced. I would be taken out of the classroom to learn English. Um, and then, you know, just kind of adapting to the new culture, to the new surroundings. Um, just, I remember like having the need to learn how to communicate with everybody else because it was such a, like, and like you couldn't otherwise understand what other people were saying. Um, I remember the first day of school, my, my sister, who's a little bit younger than me, she basically like was trying to teach us English at that point. Like, and she was like, you have to say no. Um, if you're a man and you say now, if you're like a female. <laughs> and so, cause we had that, that existed in, uh, in Arabic, which we knew a little bit of, um, at the time. And so when I was in school, I thought that was the way. So in any situation, if they asked me anything and I it was supposed to be a no, I would just say now. And it was like, looking back, that's just like hilarious to me now, but like they, it's just where I started and where I am. I just like to tell that story. Like I didn't know the difference between no and now. <laughs> and I thought there was like feminine and masculine um, way of speaking in English. So just for those of you listening, just I wanted just to give you an idea of where like I began with my English learning journey. Yeah. You talk a lot about fearlessness in um your teaching materials and things. And I can imagine that as a young kid coming into a country where you don't understand anything, you don't know the language, you're having to suddenly learn all of these new things, how to read, how to write, how to communicate, um, that there might be a little bit of fear involved. So how did you go from, you know, being in that new kind of scary place to where you are today, where you teach other English learners to be fearless? Yeah, that's a really good question because I basically did the entire thing, like learned English, feeling scared all the time and not just w about my ability to speak English, but my intelligence level, um, my uh, like ability to do anything. So it, I was always scared all the time. And it prevented me from developing as fast as I could have if I look back because it was always trying really hard to be someone that I wasn't at the very beginning. So when I was like in my teens, I remember like people asking me where I was from and I would, ne I would every single time somebody asked me, I would say a different country just so I wouldn't say I'm from Somalia. Um, and, and people would like, I was scared that people would judge me for who I was, judge me that I wasn't intelligent enough, judge me for not being able to communicate. Um, and so it was, I was always scared. And that's why like, I, I kind of, this idea of fearlessness is not the fact that you you don't feel scared. It's the fact that you do feel scared that that happens to everyone, but it's it's what you do after you're scared that matters. And it's what you do and what decisions you make and the choices you make once you do feel scared, that's important. And, and that's why I, I feel like 
I want to portray like this idea of like fearlessness as like, I guess like a, a path for students that are in the same situation as me, unable to communicate, scared of making mistakes, feeling like, oh, like this person's going to judge me. Like, that's why I feel like I'm there to like say, I've been there and now I'm going to teach you how to make sure that th these kinds of things don't hold you back from what you want to do in life. Absolutely. And when you uh, talk about this, um, like fearlessness, part of it involves a, mind sh a shift in mindset where you take uh, like things like I'm sorry for my mistakes and you turn that into, you know, making mistakes is just a part of learning. So how did you develop this uh, change in self-talk? Because a lot of people listening, when they re when they are presented with these cases that may lead them to having fear, they're tempted to have negative self-talk and say, you're not smart enough for this. You're not ready for this. Um, and you've kind of over time figured out how to turn that around. So how did you do that? What, what has been your process with improved self-talk? Yeah. Um, so with that, I would say that I kind of realized that feeling scared and feeling like always inadequate was, was not bringing me forward. It was, it was holding me back. And so I would say that I've experienced that probably for 30 years of my life. And now I'm like 34. So I held on to that for such a long time. And there was like the shift happened when I started to be kinder to myself. Like, I think you already like spoke about it in your question is the very like first person that needs to have your back is you. Right. And so I, as an English teacher, I make mistakes until now. I make mistakes when I'm speaking, when I write and owning that and understanding that I do was difficult for me. And so I was like, Oh my God, like if I make a mistake, other people will judge me. And then I was like, oh, that's why I don't want to make a mistake because other people will say, oh, look at what a terrible teacher you are because you made this typo in your stories. And so I had to think about that. And I thought to myself, wait, like whose judgment am I scared of? Because when someone says, oh, you made that mistake and then you feel bad, that's just like only a moment the the scariest part i think is when someone does say something and then you continue to beat yourself up for the several like weeks after that because of that incident and so the shift happened when it was like okay this person said something terrible but that doesn't mean i have to continue it with negative self talk horrible comments about myself that i'm not good enough that i should quit I think that's the shift that happened. It's like, if someone else wants to sit there and judge my stuff, that doesn't mean that I should. And, and then I realized that actually my biggest fear is myself. Like I was scared because I knew how terrible it feels. As soon as that person says something, it goes away after like five seconds, but that follow up of negativity from yourself, that is the worst. If like, I would say that it was just the shift of having my own back. That that's what 
helped me kind of move forward and helped me understand that it's so much easier when you as a person have your own back. And it was like the biggest breakthrough for me. If nobody else in the world like can take care of you, if nobody wants to say anything good to you, like it doesn't, at the end of the day, you can't control what other people say, but you can definitely control how you support yourself, how you speak to yourself, um, encouragement, all of that has to come from within. And I think that's my answer to that because without that, without having your own back, you just end up like always feeling disappointed, always feeling like horrible about yourself, feeling like you're not worthy. I think that a big fear for a lot of language learners is about making mistakes and other people's perception, as you said. And you have a particular experience, a story that you've shared about when you were 13 and you miscorrectly read something on the board and were laughed at. So I think for a lot of people, that would be like their greatest fear in knowing or speaking another language. And especially at that age, where as a teenager, what you want to do is fit in and you're a little bit more impressionable and other people's opinions matter more. So how did you get through that situation and not let it discourage you from? learning English? Well, it didn't. That, well, I didn't, I didn't feel discouraged um, from learning English, but it affected me in different ways. Um, there was a, I remember there was a point where the, a student said I was in the lowest grade for everything in secondary school, um, which um, in American, it's high school, right? Um, and they, they basically said, oh, Halima is in the lowest grade for everything at the time. Like, because of my, I had only been in that, in the country for a little bit. Um, and what, like when they said that, like when they said, oh, I wasn't smart enough to be in the higher classes, I just felt like, oh my God, there it is. Somebody said it, like, I'm not smart enough. And from that time, I remember constantly trying to prove to everyone that I was smart enough. And so things changed for me in class. I, I started to go to the library and read a million books and like, I would <laughs> like everything changed for me. I just started to continuously try to prove to myself and other people that I was smart enough. And it, it's a horrible place to be. Like when you're in that situation where you just feel like I'm just not good enough or I'm not smart enough. It doesn't help you develop like quickly because you in at the back of your head, you're always measuring your intelligence with everybody else. And that affect me for the rest of like, like until like in my thirties, I didn't get over that. And so I had to like really get help in terms of therapy and coaching to get over the idea that I wasn't smart enough. So, I mean, no, it did like the, the negativity kind of pushed me to prove to everyone that I could do it, but I wish that that wasn't the case. I wish I didn't feel that way. Um, as a child, I, I wish that I felt like I was enough. Um, and, and, and I think if that was the case, I would have probably, um, been able to do a lot more. I know, like, I feel like it just did stop me from doing so many things and be able to kind of just go out there and do it without feeling completely scared 
Um, and because, and the reason I was scared is someone's going to find out I'm <laughs> an idiot. <laughs> so I better not speak and I better not like say anything that like any, like nobody around me will notice. Like I just tried to make sure that everybody around me, um, knew that I was smart in class. I would put up my hand, like I, like the story you shared. And, but sometimes when I did feel like comfortable, I wasn't able to communicate and that would just bring me right back down to, yeah, it's, it, I mean, all those years um, of proving to myself that that was true, that I wasn't in fact intelligent. Like I, I, I tried to like get away from that, but I was always, it was always getting proved by other people or situations that I was in that like, that was a true um, thing about me. So whenever uh, we're talking about language learning um, and I, whenever I think of my own experience, I always try to remember that I'm coming with a certain set of experiences already that are giving me an advantage. If I'm learning a language with cognates, for instance, then, you know, uh, that's giving me a vocabulary advantage. And uh, even something like writing, when I was learning to write in another language, I have already been writing for such a long time in my native language. Whereas in your case, at age nine, you had to, like you said, you'd never even picked up a pencil before. So you had to learn how to write at an age where you can actually still remember that experience. Because I can't really remember uh, learning how to write myself. So like, what was that experience like learning how to write? And especially like from the context of it was so much harder for you to do it than just simply learning how to write English. Yeah, I think at the time, I just remember being grateful for everything that was in my way. So that was just a bonus. It was like, we get to go to school. We get to hang out with people. I was just, I just remember being ready to learn everything. Like I would, I was so curious because I had like that big, massive gap in not having education, which I mean, I learned at home, I learned from my parents, but um, going to a school was a completely new experience. And I was, I'd never saw it as, oh my God, this is difficult. I was like, oh, what's next? Like, what, what else can I learn? What else can I um, absorb? So for me, in terms of like the experience, I never had anything to compare to. I never thought, oh, this is difficult. It was just like, oh, I get to, I get to, and that was it. Like, all the time. So I think to answer your question is like, I mean, I didn't have anything to compare my experience to. So for me, it was just lots of gratefulness that we had the opportunity to be in school. Uh, I noticed that a lot of your, well, I noticed that your teaching is aimed towards women in particular. And I'd like to know a little bit more about what led you to focus on women as in an English teacher and how your background with your mom not having the opportunity to have an education and you not starting till later kind of played a role in that. So that's a really great question. I love your questions. Um, so the reason I made it a women only um the, the academy that I have, the female language academy is because, well, there, there are people, there are women out there that don't have access to education online or anywhere because there are other men there. So 
for example, their husband wouldn't let them take classes if there were other men there. Um, and it's something that like, I, I always knew that was a huge problem in our, in like in our industry, in classes, there, there were no opportunities for these women to go and study. And so that meant that they would stay at home because somebody said to them, you're not allowed to go to class if A, B and C is not like, if there's a man there, you're not allowed. If the teacher is a man, you're not like, so it meant that they didn't have access to education. And so at the back of my mind, I've always wanted to start like a women only academy, but because of my own fear, I just, I was like, you know what, let me just like, let everybody join the academy. Um, and the reason I guess like that I went forward is just, again, the whole fearlessness, right? Like it's just go and do it. And, and going back to like, when I started it, I was absolutely terrified of the backlash that I would get. And I used to get like emails on a daily basis attacking me for this saying how dare you like have it for women only men getting really really upset that I wasn't offering this opportunity for them and so there were points where I was like oh my god I think I might just like quit this and just like offer it to everyone because obviously I'm upsetting a lot of people um even teachers contacting me and saying do you know this is illegal? Um, how dare you, um, how dare you like offer something like this when you stand for BLM? I actually got teachers getting really upset by me starting this, um, academy. And like, I still kind of carried on and just said, you know what, at the end of the day, if I'm going to get in trouble, at least I can get out and say, you know, I've helped somebody be able to, to, to either, connect with other women and learn some of the things that I have to teach them, whether if it's, um, how to speak or how to write a CV so they can get a job interview or how to like not care about their mistakes when they speak English. So even if I thought to myself, even if it's short lived and the government, like this guy says, like comes knocking down saying, this is completely not allowed. I still want to be able to go ahead and do it. So obviously, I mean, I decided that, but I also, also contacted the lawyers and I was like, is this okay? And they're like, yeah, of course this is okay. But in terms of like the whole, the whole academy, it was very, very difficult for me to start it because of the backlash, because of like, I knew that people would be upset about it. Um, but I was like, you know what, there are people out there that need an education. And just like me, they won't have an education if someone doesn't provide the opportunity for them. And so I thought that it was a no brainer to provide this for women that can't. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you pushed through that resistance because it's a, it obviously built such a strong community behind it. And I'm, I'm interested to hear like what kind of uh, positive impacts and what stories have you heard from the women that you've helped to get into languages? Yeah. So like a lot of the women came like from different backgrounds, obviously, um, and, and some backgrounds that they don't really mind if like there's men in there, but what it does is like, it's, it's building a community, um, of women that 
have each other's back. They, they support each other through everything. So they, when, when they first come to the program, they're afraid that, oh, like there's other women, they might judge me. They might think my English is terrible. And there's so many stories around that. And one of the stories that I want to share is there was a woman that she's from Turkey and she said that she didn't want to speak to other Turkish women. She only wanted to speak to other countries, like people from other countries or like me. Um, and, uh, and she had this idea that if she spoke to a Turkish person, her English would like, it wouldn't improve. And now if you speak to her, like, she's like, I can't believe I was, I was thinking like that because not only that, she was also the person that said to me, I don't want a non-native um, teacher. I only want to speak to you. And I was like, but I'm a non-native as well. So there's like, there's a problem there. If like, you don't see that as like, it, my students will cut, like I, I'm, I'm like frustrated even talking about it, but a lot of the students that will come, they will have ideas about native speakerism, about what it means to learn English, what it means to make mistakes, what it means to even build like friendships with other women. And so when they come in, they just completely are surprised about like how I deal with these situations. Like when they complained, for example, about Marley, who works with me, um, she's another teacher who's from Brazil and she has um, a Brazilian accent and they, they didn't want to like work with her. They didn't want to um, have her as a teacher. And the way I responded was like, I doubled her time, like teaching them. And I was like, yeah, so like, that's what you're going to get. Like, if you're, if you're going to think, oh, she's not good for me, I'm going to show you that actually, I think you need more time with her. So you understand that she's probably one of the most caring teachers you'll ever get. And her like knowledge is out of this world. And so now, like when they come back to me, they feel really silly because they're like, I can't believe that. I thought that I could only learn English from a native speaker. I can't believe that um, I thought the way I did when I first um, wanted to join the community. So their mindset like changes completely because, because of the values that we hold in the company. We don't want to kind of circulate the same ideology that's going around in the ESL community. A lot of things need to change in terms of like the ideology that they perpetuate. Like, for example, you know, you, there was a teacher that offered a job to students and, and they were like, oh, we're looking for native speakers in her YouTube videos. And I just, I sat there and I thought, how can you be a teacher that teaches so many non-native people. And then when you offer an opportunity, you're like, nope, you can't have that opportunity. There's so many things that I just, I don't understand in the ESL community. And what I'm trying to do is get away from that and make sure that like students one by one understand like that all these ideas are just confining them into a small, tiny space where if they don't think of these things they, and they don't think, oh, I need to change my accent or I need to like have perfect English or I need to fix my accent. If they get rid of all of these things, then 
they can grow and develop their language in a way that they can they can't even imagine if they are constantly thinking about how terrible their english is or how inadequate they as a person are let's go back a little bit to your earlier story about when you were first learning english um because i think it's kind of in a similar thread as far as like supporting and so i'm wondering Given your experience, what would your advice be to a family that takes their children and moves them to a country where they don't speak the language and they're suddenly thrown into this environment where they have no choice but to learn the language? Yeah, I've thought about that before, actually, because I, I, if I had, I, if I could go back, although like I probably wouldn't have the chance, but I would definitely give more support to the student, like the, the, whoever, I mean, the child, the, I think getting them to start reading, for example, is such an important aspect of like language development. That's one of the things that has helped me um, develop my vocabulary and so on. But if I could go back, I would like just be like, okay, like like focus on the very first year that you're there on language development. Because when you go into maths class, right, like the rest of the students are already struggling, but imagine learning maths in, in another language. They're like, oh my God. So one of the things is like, I wish that I, they just gave me either, like they did take me out of the class, which I hated, by the way. I hated it when they took me out of class because it just made me so different to the rest of the class. It just perpetuated the idea that I wasn't good, as good as everybody else around me. But what I would have loved is like maybe after school classes where I could do things that like I I enjoyed, where at the same time I was learning the language, not so much as like, oh, one-to-one classes where I'm forced to learn the language uh, with a tutor, but more extracurricular activities where language would just be part of like the experience and you would just develop it a lot fa- a lot faster um, and also reading. So that's one of the advice I would give. It's like really pay attention to developing that child's language and, and they probably pick it up really fast, but giving th- th- that child the support that they need early on will give them that like support that like, I mean, the, I guess the, the framework to be able to do well in school. Like one of the struggles I had was just understanding questions in exams. Like I would put up my hand and say, what does that word mean? And they couldn't like explain it. So I wouldn't be able to answer the question. And that was horrible. When I look back and I'm like, how are you not able to understand the question? What were the teachers doing to get you to like, answer the question. You don't even know what the word means in English. So of course you're not going to do as well. So I would definitely say like focusing on that, especially the first or second year of, um, arriving in a new country is, is an important part of like, I think would be very, very beneficial to the student. So you were saying before how, when you, uh, had this idea to make a a women focused, uh, like English learning community that you got a lot of resistance, including of course, resistance from, from men who didn't like this idea at all. And you've, um, you've actually, uh, been posting a lot to create a very strong community on Instagram. And I know maybe perhaps some female listeners might think, you know, if I were to put myself out there, 
I would just get all this negative um, reactions and it wouldn't be worth it. Whereas when, whenever we look at the, the comments and the reactions on your Instagram, you have such a warm community who just love everything that you're doing. So how did you, um, how did you allow, allow that to grow? And what would you say to others who are either looking into content creation or just to interact with the Instagram community or with other online communities and feeling a little apprehensive? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think that, um, there are actually many women that join the female language academy and then end up like starting their own Instagram and, um, starting their own community. Um, and it, it wasn't always like that at the, at the very beginning, obviously like looking really different in our like industry being like, I couldn't see anybody in front of me, like, like that wore a hijab or is biracial. So I, I didn't, I didn't see that anywhere. And so like, for me, that was the biggest struggle. I was like, is this something that is actually for, um, somebody that's Muslim, somebody that's black, Arab, like <laughs> all the, the different, like, I guess like, um, stereotypes put into one person like it's like so much fun being me um but the 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 thing is like it was like oh um let me start this new channel I'm just like gonna tell you a little bit about like my journey so I started it and I got like and I and I I got the all these thoughts in my head like are people gonna accept me are people gonna think that I'm good enough to be their teacher so I actually started my journey wearing my I don't know if you guys seen pictures, but wearing my hijab as like a bun at the top and, and I never wore it like that in real life. I would wear it the way I'm wearing it now. But the funny thing is like, I used to just take pictures like that, teach like that, go live like that because I didn't want anyone to know I was Muslim. (laughs) And especially at the time, um, there was so much backlash, so much like racism going on um, at Muslim people. I was actually like scared to go, go outside um, because there was so many things. Like I remember like just hearing, oh, there was a, ter- a terrorist attack in London. And all I could think was, please let it not be a Muslim. Please let it not be. Because as soon as it's a Muslim, there's like a, a higher attack on like Muslim uh, women, especially. I don't know why it's women mainly or Sikhs because <laughs> you couldn't tell like which man was Muslim. But with women, because we wear hijab, it's an easy target. So I just remember thinking, I just don't want anyone to know until I grow a little bit. And then like once I grow and they know who I am and they like me, I will, I will change my hijab and make it normal. (laughs) And I remember like my parents also saying, why do you wear your hijab like that when you're, and I'm like, mom, like, I just don't want them to like judge me before they even like have had a chance to know who I am. And, and I think that was the worst thing that I probably did was just pretend to be someone else. It was absolutely exhausting Um, and so I remember the day that I like changed my hijab, like to like a normal way. And I went live. I think I must've lost half my followers. (laughs) I lost so many followers that day. That was like an incredibly like eye opening day for me because it was like, 
what was the point of that? Like there was no point of me pretending to be someone else because the wrong person is always going to be like, oh, I, I don't want anything to do with this person anyway. Um, so I understood from that point on that it was so important for me to be myself. And so who, like for whoever is listening right now, if you do want to start something, don't compromise who you are. Don't hide things away and just show up as your true self because the people that love you and like will love your stuff are going to be attracted to you. And that's why like when you look at the comments, you see like so many like amazing like comments because the, I, I am myself now. I don't try and be like become someone else or I don't try to be someone that I'm not because it is absolutely exhausting <laughs> trying to like pretend to be someone that you're not. It is so, so, so much work and energy. So if someone wants to start something um, or like create content, the, the biggest thing I would say to them is like, be yourself. Don't try and be someone else. Um, and now we have so many people to look up to in terms of like how like our industry is getting a lot more diverse, a lot more people that look like me are like, I'm seeing more of that. So I'm really happy to see that because women can't do come to me and say, you know, I used to follow you for a very long time. And I used to think if she can do it, then I can do it. So it's like, we need more women that look different or more men that look different to the usual to be out there to show that, you know, it's possible for them to. One of the questions that we always want to ask our guests when they join us on the podcast is what their definition is of language hacking. I guess um, I would say like when it comes to language hacking, I would talk about the individual rather than everybody as a whole. And each person is able to like experiment and find their own way of learning the language rather than trying to follow what that teacher says and what that book says. And so in terms of like hacking, I would say like finding your own way of learning the language in, in a way that's like successful to your own experience. Like, so like what I always say to students is like, even when you're learning vocabulary, sometimes those certain, like a word might not be a word that you might use. So in terms of language hacking is like, you get to pick and choose what you want to learn. And at the end of the day, like do it in your own way and learn about what is the best way you can learn the language and don't try and like fit into other people's ideology of how to learn language. Absolutely. So recently you've started your own podcast and I'm curious, what are the, your, your future plans for as you expand Blackboard English and now the Fearless English podcast in trying to inspire other language learners? So the idea of the um, podcast is to like, I, I have it like in three different areas. And the, the first is to learn the language. The second is learn like the language tips and so on. And then the third is similar to this, where people come on anonymously and share their story without like just people from all over the world. And I really love the idea because 
I think that the more we get to hear other people's stories, the more we get to understand how close we are and how like, like it gives that person a new face. And like it, the, the reason I say a new face is because we see someone for the fir- first time and it's just another person. But once we hear their story, you suddenly start to connect with them. You start to share common interests and so on. And so I really love the idea of stories and that's how we're going to be continuing uh, with the podcast and just focusing on the Female Language Academy and trying to get as many women as possible to join because I really want people to understand what we stand for when it comes to the Female Language Academy, because it is a space like a, it's a, it's a space for women to learn, not only to learn English, but to connect with other women and also develop their skills so that they do get better opportunity, um, wherever they are. Yeah. Excellent. So we'll be sure to leave links in the show notes to the Fearless English podcast and of course, your Instagram, your website and all that stuff so people can check you out and get some inspiration. So thank you so much for joining us today, Halima. This was a, a very interesting chat. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I, um, I've i loved the question, guys. I really did enjoy um, answering the questions. So thank you for having me. All right. So I we'll wish everybody listening until the next time. Very happy language learning. Happy language learning. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our discussion with our guest. And these are things that are immediately actionable that you can put into practice and try out in your own language learning. So Benny, what was your takeaway for this episode? So I really liked that uh, Halima uh, emphasized how you have to be true to yourself when it comes to language learning. In her case, uh, she found it absolutely exhausting to pretend to be this person just so that she wouldn't have to be scared that some people who are maybe anti-Muslim wouldn't have initially followed her. But in the end, that was uh, kind of a waste of time because when she finally revealed her true self, she lost all those followers that were following somebody who wasn't really there, who didn't really exist. Now she has plenty of followers. So like being true to herself, she's grown this community that she can uh, really uh, love and that can get support she can get support from so I think when it comes to like either content creation or even language learning it can be so important to not make a facade of yourself uh, because you might think I'll do this initially and maybe people will like me a bit more for it like if you have a silly personality don't try to be serious or vice versa And if you uh, really like nerding out and talking about a particular subject, but you're worried people won't like you for that, then it's all you're really doing is delaying the inevitable and then potentially having to go through that difficult transition whenever you do finally embrace being yourself. So um, I personally have embraced the little nerdy aspects of my personality whenever I'm getting to know people and whenever I want to practice my languages in terms of the topics I want to discuss. And it's so much less exhausting than when I thought I had to talk about things that they would care about more or things that I don't actually care about. So, you know, the, uh, that's kind of my takeaway in terms of how I can 
make that reflect in language learning. But of course, it's just something that's universally important that we should always be true to ourselves and to what we actually want and the person that we want to present to the world because you're just you're just delaying this inevitable disappointment if you're not doing that. And I really like uh, that she emphasized that and that she wished that from the very start that she was herself. So that's my takeaway. I definitely have to agree that that was a takeaway for me. But I think my focus on the takeaway was about how she discussed shutting down negative self-talk. It is so easy to let negative self-talk just completely take over. And it's really difficult to shut it down once it starts. So I would say coming up with strategies to shut down negative self-talk would be my takeaway for this episode. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. We love hearing from you. It lets us know what you like most about the podcast and it helps other language learners like yourself find us. Once again, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode will be available to you in the show notes. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.